Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. First, we start today. We've been using Daniel Goleman's book this month on emotional intelligence. And you'll remember we started out the month talking about... I would say emotions in the theoretical sense, you know, where they come from, why our limbic system creates them for us, the idea of kind of at the dawn of man, you know, our emotional um, really impulses key to our survival. And then last week we talked about emotions in a very practical way. In fact, we took two of the strongest negative emotions, anger and fear, and we said, how can we actually use these positively? How can we take something that our initial reaction seems so negative to and actually use it in a positive way? We talked about how we're not necessarily have to follow through with the heat of anger, that we can use that as the impetus to make changes in our lives in actually a productive way. And we talked a little bit about how to dissipate anger and and so on, and we did the same thing a little bit with fear. Well, I'd like to start out there again this week, because there's one other strong emotion that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet, and that's sadness. And I'm sure you're thinking, oh great, I came to church today to be sad. (laughs) Well, you know me, I promise we won't end there. We may start there, but I promise we won't end there. And in fact, believe it or not, I found a joke about sadness. So um, you know me, I can find a joke about anything, I swear. So the psychology professor had just finished a lecture on mental health and was giving a verbal pop quiz. Speaking specifically about manic depressive disorder, she asked, how would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth screaming at the top of his lungs one moment and then sits in a chair weeping in profound sadness soon after? Well, a young man in the back of the room, his hand shot up and answered, well, that's easy, it's a basketball coach. All right, just, I mean, I can find a joke. It doesn't always mean they're good ones. All right, all right, fair enough. So I do want to talk, start talking about sadness today. First of all, where does sadness come from? Well, generally, sadness is a reaction to some kind of a loss when it feels that something has been missing in our lives. And anyone who has lost a loved one, anyone who has uh, lost a job, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily even be associated with a person or a thing, though. For instance, sometimes you just wake up in the morning and you'll feel sad, right? Sometimes it's lovely when you can say, well, this is why, and other times we just feel the way we do. Sadness, nonetheless, though, generally associated with some kind of a loss, something that's missing. And first of all, I want to, how do I want to say this? Uh, I, I would like to coach us a little bit in when other people are feeling sad, Sometimes there's nothing to be done. You know, sometimes our initial reaction, being helping and loving people, is that when we see someone who's sad, not so much angry, (laughs) right? Some of the other emotions ask us, invite us to step away. (laughs) That's okay, too. But sadness, I think, does the reverse. When we see someone, especially someone that we love and care about, it kind of tends to make us want to 
right? Almost kind of intrude a little bit. And unfortunately, sometimes sadness just has to be processed through. So be aware of that. In fact, it reminds me of, uh, uh, many of you know, at, at one time I did uh, teenage foster care and had quite a troop of teenagers in my life for about a 10-year period. And I still remember the day that one, uh, one, of, my, uh, one of my young men uh, came to me and uh, I, I, he'd been staying with me for maybe a few weeks. And he came home from school, and I could tell that something was wrong. And he said, well, my backpack got stolen. And I sort of, you know, much in the way of, well, things in my life disappear, and I don't tend to think too much of them. But what I realized after a few days, this was a tremendous loss. If you think about the stability of someone who's been in maybe three foster homes in one year, what might be one of the few things that was constant in this young person's life? Well, at least he had the stuff that he carried around in his backpack. So be open to the idea that loss and sadness may come up in someone for reasons that will be very obscure to you, for reasons that may not mean anything to you, loss can find its way into someone's heart. And though you may want to comfort them, it may not take the path that rational thinking would take you, right? I mean, I, mean, I would have said, oh, well, we'll just go to Fred Meyer. I can get you a new backpack in 10 minutes. But do you see how wrong that would have been, right? It, it would have been like saying, this is no big thing, get over it. And the reality is, when we're processing sadness, when we're processing grief, it's going to take as long as it takes, and it's probably going to be a little different for every person. And mostly what we can do to help is to allow people just to know how much we love them, just to be there, not to do anything, not to you know, offer suggestions. I, I, I mean, you can, you can certainly just say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. But I gotta tell you, for most people where sadness is concerned, probably they're not gonna take you up on it. And so, from that place of compassion, what you can do is stand there absolutely as the face of love, as that friend who it's okay if someone's really sad, if someone's really down around. Be, be that friend that doesn't necessarily have to fix anything. Be that friend that can just stand as the loving witness. So, Last week, we talked about what happens when fear is prolonged over time and that that can turn into anxiety. And similarly, we talked the last week about when anger uh, becomes just a part of someone's emotional makeup and that kind of undercurrent of rage is there in someone. Well, unfortunately, the same thing can be true with sadness. Sadness over time, when it starts becoming who you are rather than something you're expressing, turns, of course, into depression. Now, the good news is, Many of the same or similar techniques that we learned last week ar around ending worry cycles and things like that, believe it or not, actually apply also to sadness. And in fact, some studies done right here at the University of Oregon about 10 years ago suggest that most of us, if we, if we notice our sadness as being prolonged, we can do something about it in a way that will prevent that from lingering and actually turning into depression. It's, it's actually relatively preventable at the stage where it becomes troublesome, okay? And they did a, a, some, some scientific studies around, uh, especially this study was around young people, that showed some of the most 
uh, straightforward things we can do that can nip that in the bud. First of all, they suggested uh, that we need to stay physically active. Now, this may seem difficult. If you are really sad, what's the natural inclination, right? Yeah, it's kind of to do the withdrawal thing a little bit. You might stop going to the gym. You might find yourself a little bit isolated. And that, of course, is what the psychologist will say is probably the opposite of what we can do. Now, they're not saying we shouldn't feel what we feel. Let me be clear about that, right? The sadness is there to be felt, and that's okay. We're not here to try to deny or ignore our feelings at all. But what sadness is is our reaction to the loss of something. And so ultimately, we want that feeling again. We want that sense of love. We want that sense of maybe utility that the job that, that where we got fired had or you know or whatever whatever the thing or the feeling that its absence created the feeling of loss and sadness. We want that thing again. And so so noticing what it is is the clue of where we need to positively head, even when it seems like the opposite of what our initial reaction is right? So in fact, depression, I had, my mother-in-law was, uh, was depressed for, gosh, close to a year, and, and in the end had to seek medical attention for it, which was, you know, totally appropriate. And what we noticed about her was the withdrawal. She stopped paying a lot of her bills. It was hard for her to focus. And so these are almost the recipes, if you will, for what not to do. Because what happens in terms of science of mind terms, right? It's like doing a little prayer around loss. It's like in the same way that worry is a constant prayer around, uh, around fear, what you're afraid might happen. Well, when you prolong sadness and, and the grieving process beyond where it would naturally take you, what you're doing is actually ushering in more sadness. You're actually willing yourself to start even seeing evidences and signs out in the world, right? So when my mother-in-law withdrew for about eight months and stopped phoning people and, and stopped picking up phone calls from us and kind of treated us like invaders when we would go to visit her, what happens? People stop calling her. She started getting the evidence that she should be lonely, right? It's that self it's that self-prophecy coming into it. Uh, and, and of course, she stopped paying some of her bills. Boy, don't you feel sad and lonely when they turn your electricity off, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense. Okay, so I've portrayed, if you will, what can happen when you simply go with the feeling beyond where it's useful. But what we can do is we can stay physically active. We can tell ourselves, you know, I kind of feel crummy today, but I'm going to do what's necessary to put some activity in my life. I'm going to suit up. I'm going to shower up. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my volunteer work. I'm going to go to work. Whatever it is that would represent a more normal day for you, you do it. This is how we work some of the physical uh, aspects of depression out of us, is by going out in the world and doing our thing. The other thing that we can do is, and especially when the loss is around uh, some kind of a personal issue, whether it's a loved one that passed away, or whether it might be a marriage that has ended, when we're going through grieving processes like that, again, our urge may be to isolate 
But the actual cure for this is to be around the people that you love and that care for you. So even when you are feeling perhaps the loss of one person or, 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 or one avenue of finding love, this is not the call to just, you know, I'm going to struggle with this by myself. Being around people is part of the solution here. Being able to open your heart enough, even to cry in front of the people that care for you the most, is an important part of the healing process. And goodness knows, as family members and friends, that's why we're here. That's how we want to show our compassion. So in your saddest moments, when you might have that urge to withdraw, or that urge to just deny what's going on, those feelings, actually better to be with people. Even if you're a little weepy, even if your feelings are right out there on your sleeve and you might feel a little vulnerable, be vulnerable around the people that love you. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And that helps you on the path of healing and wholeness once again. Another tip, uh, when you're feeling sad, is to volunteer. There's something about being useful in the world. There's something about putting yourself out there, sh you know, showing up as that face of God in the world to do volunteer work or to help out or to participate in a charity event or, or do a run or, or whatever it is. It's as though you can't be sad and useful in a way at the same time. I, I mean, I know this is weird, and, and you're probably saying, well, Larry, I bet I could if I tried. But, the <laughs> but what a lot of people find is that when we put our heart into something positive, the sadness, the negative feeling of the heart begins to diminish. Now, again, it's not that you're saying, uh, I, I'm going to stop grieving for someone or something that I love or that I miss. But the idea is to focus more on the positiveness that's present for you at the same time. And it's very important to keep up with what your normal routine is. Because in your normal routine are generally the seeds for more positive living, for moving through it uh, in, a, in a useful way. So the last tip, and then we'll move on to something else. The last tip for people who are experiencing sadness is maybe one of the hardest of all, but it's equally important, and it's simply called self-care. A lot of people, when they're pronounced sad, they just kind of let everything go. And, you know, they'll find themselves eating out, you know, it's like Burger King for three meals in a row. But, but it's easy, right? It doesn't require any effort. They'll find themselves um, not bothering to shower that day. What's, you know, what's the point? So if you find yourself being neglectful, check yourself out for some of those signs of sadness. And again, the idea here is to take care of yourself as though you were on the other side of that sadness. Begin taking care of yourself with the, the love and attention that the people in your life would like to see you have. And that's one of the, the ways that we can also work through that. Okay, enough ideas about sadness. The next thing I want to talk about in here is in our strong emotions altogether and from a general perspective. And I want to underscore that this is a good, bad, this is a good news, bad news scenario. Here's what uh, Daniel Goleman says. 
He says the prefrontal cortex can refine or put the brakes on the amygdala's impulse to rampage. That's, if you remember from two weeks ago, that's the part of the, the specific part of the brain that has those impulses in us that, that makes us want to lash out in anger or whatever. So we can put the brakes on that impulse to rampage, but we cannot keep it from reacting in the first place. Thus, while we cannot decide when to have an emotional outburst, we have much control over how long it lasts. And what seems to change in the main are the responses that people make once the emotional reaction is triggered. So do you see how this is the, the bad news, good news? The bad news is you have very little control over that limbic region and those specific, specific uh, parts of our brain that release the chemicals that make us feel the rage or, or feel the sadness extra strong. So if you're thinking that I can just will it away, right? If you're thinking that if I just hunker down and suppress this anger, right? Or I'll just pretend to be happy today. As best I can, I'm just going to ignore that, that pit feeling in my stomach. The trouble is it doesn't really work. And it's designed not to work. So please allow yourself to feel the feelings. They're going to be there. They are simply going to be there. It's the way we're actually made. And who knows, maybe someday when a train is coming at you, maybe, some, no, literally, sometimes those feelings of rage or, or anger may actually get us out of harm's way. So let's not just assume that this reaction is always a negative thing, right? So the feelings, they're going to come. That can be the bad news. But what is always, I think, the good news is that we have a lot of power over our reaction. We have the ability to step back from that rush of the, the chemicals going through our blood system and say, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm truly pissed off. Or I'm, profound, or I'm profoundly sad today, right? And I believe that it is through this process of in that moment doing the introspection that then can allow us to positively use those feelings, right? So in that moment when we're feeling supremely angry, we can say, oh my gosh, have I ever been this angry before? That anger is telling me that things around here need to change. And that's a good thing. Thank you, anger. And then we step back maybe one more step and say, and what positive things can I do to move forward in this situation, right? So then we, we have that ability to say, well, it's not going to, you know, screaming about it, probably not so useful. Calling each other names, it hasn't worked before, <laughs> why, right? Why would it work this time? We have that ability to take the two steps back and say, what would be useful here? And last week in particular, we talked in terms of anger, some positive things that we can do to process it. So the good news here, we have a big impact on what we do with these emotions. And what has been shown through many scientific experiments is the more we work at it, the better we get. 
So the very first time that we maybe process anger in a different way, it's going to seem silly. It's going to seem weird to you, right? The very first time, instead of blowing up, you say something like, wow, I can see we're really <laughs> angry here. Remember what we used to do? <laughs> and, and your partner or your friend might just be right up for it again. You know, Of course I know what we used to do, you so-and-so and you so-and-so. And then we resist the urge to plunge in and maybe we say something like, you know, this relationship is one of the most important things on the planet to me. And clear communication is how we can move. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm diffusing, I'm bringing down the anger. And again, the first few times you do this, if you're used to a volatile exchange or an issue that really has you angry, well, I can tell you it's gonna feel weird. And the two of you may indeed resort to old patterns and it's okay. The next time it will seem a little easier and the next time it will seem easier after that. And do you know what? In a very few times, what science has shown is that the other person, even without this specific knowledge, will start responding in like manner because they can feel the energy coming down and they actually feel that there can be some success brought forth. So even if you're the only person initially that's bringing the energy down, even if you're the only person initially that understands the ability to react usefully to emotions, what will happen over time is that you and your partner or you and your friend will start having more positive interchanges after all. I want to read you one more quote from this book, kind of a longer one. Bear with me, because this is another good news, bad news story. And when I first read this, I went, oh, Lord, here we are again. <laughs> it's okay. The contrast in temperament between the morose person and the cheerful person shows up in many ways, large and small. For example, in one experiment, volunteers watched short film clips. Some were amusing, a gorilla taking a bath, a puppy at play. Others were an from an instructional film for, nurse for nurses featuring grisly surgeries. The somber folks found the happy movies only mildly amusing, but they felt extremely fearful and disgusted in reaction to the nurse's video. The cheerful group had minimal reaction to the surgeries. Their strongest reactions were of delight when they saw the upbeat films. Thus, we seem by temperament primed to respond to life in either a negative or a positive emotional uh, register. Oh my gosh. You know, two months ago, we were talking about whether on average we're upbeat or downbeat. On average, whether we see the world through rosy glasses or something else. It also influences our emotions. If we have a positive outlook on life, we will get to experience just naturally without doing a thing, more of the positive emotions in life. On average, we will see the world through those optimistic lenses, if you will, and to go with it, we will get to experience more joy, more peace, and more happiness. 
If, on the other hand, we tend to be one of those people that are a little bit pessimistic, that see in general that the world is a, maybe not a safe place to be in, if instead our outlook is a little more pessimistic, the bad news is everything else being equal, we will tend to experience more of the negative emotions, more of the sadness of life, more of the anger in life will tend to follow us around. Do you see why it is so important to actually have some clarity around what we're thinking? To actually have some intentional thought, if you will, about what we intend for the day we're gonna have today, for the experience we're having. Our ability to stay on the, in general, positive side, and I'm not saying we can't have a bad day. I mean, trust me, yesterday you don't wanna know about in my life. But our ability to see beyond something that's going on negatively in the moment, our ability to see our future as open and loving and peaceful and joyous, if we want to experience the emotions on the positive side, that is how we have to intentionally direct our lives. So some tips for this, and you'll remember these actually, it was so interesting to read this part of the book because it sounded so much like our work that we had uh, a few months ago when we were studying optimism. But first of all, Goldman says that when negative things happen to us or when we're having negative feelings, that on purpose, if we can intentionally view them as temporary in nature, that this will serve us marvelously well. Now, let me portray a couple, a couple scenarios here. So, what happened exactly the same. Your car breaks down on the road. The optimist will tend to say, oh my gosh, what a surprise. This, this like never happens to me. The car broke down. Do you see how that's temporary, right? Right, built into the seeds of it. And I'm not denying what happened, right? We still gotta deal with AAA and you know, whatever it is. We still have to deal with it. But right from the get-go, I'm saying, this is unusual. My life is filled with things that go well. This sticks out, it's so unlike me. It's so unlike my life. Thank heavens this is something that can be taken care of quickly, right? Because my life isn't about being stuck on the side of the road. That would be the attitude of an optimistic person. The pessimist, oh my God, here's another thing. The car is always breaking down, and if it isn't the car, it's something else. Can I even get through a day of my life without something <laughs> crummy happening? <laughs> probably. Thank you, Leah. Probably not. <laughs> now, do you see the exact same thing happened, right? Let us choose on purpose to begin redirecting how we respond to something that happened to set us up for optimism, to set us up from that metaphysical standpoint to enjoy what's going to come next rather than waiting and looking for, you know. I have a, I have a dear friend that I've had since, uh, since high school, and he has this thing going. He says, bad things happen in threes. <laughs> have you ever known anyone that does the bad things happens in threes thing? And I'm like, and so, so something bad happened to him and then a few days later he phoned to tell me the number two thing that happened <laughs> and then and then like a week later he said i told you i told you right my aunt's really sick that's the third thing 
And I'm going, he has spent two weeks of his life doing what? Yes, searching, expecting, waiting, making, observing, you know. I need one more thing for my set. I need one more shitty thing. Oh, there, finally. I think that we do that. We may not believe in the, the, I don't know, the negative things going in threes, but I think especially if we tend towards the pessimistic, we're kind of doing it all the time. We're setting ourselves up to see what we can possibly find to, right, to reemphasize that life is dangerous or that, that life is on the negative side. Be very watchful of this. I truly believe that science of mind principles are at work in my life every day, and my observation is that it works equally well for optimists and pessimists. And what this has taught me over time is that I want to get more and more optimistic. All right. What can we do? We talked about thinking that the negative is temporary. Likewise, think of when something positive happens as like, that's so me, right? Now, now the person who is a bit of a pessimist when something good happens to them, they will say, wow, I had a really nice day. (laughs) Because, right, they're not expecting it. And the, the seeds of their own dissatisfaction will be even in how they're describing their nice day. They'll say, you know, this never happens, but the, the whole family got up and we were out on time. When does that happen? And they'll talk about, you know, a sweet luncheon that they'll had. And, and, and they'll say, I just can't believe it. The food and the service were good. How does that ever happen? Do you see what I mean? Even the seeds of their good day, they're planting. It won't happen again. The optimist will say, and someone especially who's wanting to work on making their life more optimistic, when the good day happens, they'll say, yeah, it's because my life is filled with good days. When they notice how beautiful the sun is shining outside, they'll say, I did that. Now, I know that sounds egocentric. I, I know that when I, when I woke up this morning and saw the sun, I'm, I mean, literally, I didn't create that sunshine. And yet, and yet by taking ownership of it a little bit, by saying, no, this is a reflection of what I am and who I am on this day, you are saying that you have the power to create the day of your choice. And so even if it's something as silly as saying, yeah, right? The day is going swimmingly well, and I'll take credit for it. I say go for this, and even prolong it. Say to yourself, well, of course I had a beautiful day. Don't I always? Say to yourself, things were going swimmingly well today. Why wouldn't they? Why, why wouldn't they? I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. I want to show you how powerful you are. If you're willing, just close your eyes. And if you would, think of a time when you were unusually successful at something or, or when everything went your way. Now, it could have just been yesterday or maybe it was a long time ago, but, but find in your memory a day 
when just everything went so, so very well. Could have been a holiday, it could have been a, a special birthday party. It, maybe you uh, received an award for uh, outstanding something or other. Just think of a day when everything you went went your way and you felt so happy and successful and perfect. Now I'd like you to observe in your mind's eye what's going on, maybe how you're dressed. And more than that, I would like you to observe how you're feeling. How does this particular positive feeling, what's its impact on you? Do you feel particularly happy? Do you feel particularly loved? Is there a sense of unbridled success or, or joy that bubbles up in you? Just really sense that. In fact, open your heart up to, to really wear that feeling right now. Play it up. Sense how wonderful that day is, how successful or loved you feel on that perfect day. This is you feeling with intention. Now when this originally occurred, it might have been that the circumstances were set up that helped you to feel that way, but right now the feeling you're having is 100% powerful you. And I would like to suggest that you have the power to feel this feeling that you're feeling right now any time of the day or night. There may be circumstances that might feel painful where it would be difficult, but I suggest that you have the power of bringing this feeling into your heart whenever you choose. You can go ahead and open your eyes now. And you're not only this powerful, you're this deserving. I'm not one to anthropomorphize God. In fact, I'm not even one to be able to say that word very often. <laughs> and so I'm not one to say that God has a plan for us because if there is a plan that God has for us, it wouldn't be a human plan. I mean, God isn't a human, not a, not a super person in the sky or something like that. But what I do know because of God's spiritual laws is that each of us has access to all the happiness that we so deserve. Each one of us, through God's promise, through, through spiritual law, through the, just the nature of goodness of God itself, what I know is each of us is so, so very deserving of happiness. And we've just seen how intentionally part of that is available to us through the power of our own mind. As we conclude this session on spiritual intelligence, on allowing our emotions to be a more ten intentional part of our being, I'd like you to really remember and take ownership of your emotions. Even the negative ones are here for a purpose. Even the strongest of the negative ones can lead us in a direction that's useful when we begin processing them correctly, when we begin seeing them as a signpost and not just a, a knee-jerk reaction to, you know, to, to be angry or something like that. And beyond the negative ones, of course, the, the sweet emotions, love and peace and joy and happiness, these are here literally as God's gift 
as we accept them in our heart. I'm going to close with a, a final quote of Ernest Holmes that I thought was particularly uh, pertinent. This comes from the Science of Mind textbook. He says, life responds to us in the way that we approach it. We can choose that which we wish to embody and by constant attention to it, we can take on its characteristics. Knowing this, let us choose to be identified with power. Let us choose to be identified with love and beauty, with peace and happiness. Let us identify ourselves with abundance and with the success of all life, and it shall be ours. Let us pray. There is that one power, that one presence, that one life. It is God. And regardless of the name that you might choose to use in describing it, whether it's your higher power or the divine goddess, what I know about it is that the emotions that we feel are a reflection of our inner capabilities of love, of, of peace, of, of joy, of abundance. And that, and that when we feel these things are lacking, of course, sometimes the negative emotions come up, but they too are a signpost to the good. They too are but a, a beckoning towards greater good. And I know that this is true in my own life. I know that I am up for that sometimes challenging ability to, to look sadness or anger in the face and say there's something good here. There's a lesson for me here. And with my full intentionality, I will bring to all of my emotions that ability to love, that ability to communicate clearly, that ability to be the presence of God in that situation. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, each person within the realm of my voice, everyone has that ability to see God in each moment, to be fully present for our emotions and the emotions of others and to use them wisely, to use them to point the way to greater good. And I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for God showing up in this room, even on the days when I'm angry. I'm grateful for God showing up in this room on the days when I couldn't be more delighted. Grateful for life in all of its flavors and colors, in all of its joys and sadness. I just let it be. And together we say, and so it is. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much.